Streaming only on Peacock. John Wayne Gacy killed 32. Straight from the killer's mouth. They want you to believe that I alone committed these murders. The new gripping six-part documentary series, John Wayne Gacy, Devil in Disguise. All episodes streaming now, only on Peacock. Are you ready? Let's make some noise, come on. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the latest edition of the Broad Street Line. I am Roy Burton. Alongside me, as always, my tag team partner, a man who is not scared of taking shots in the fourth quarter, one, Chris Domingo. Mr. Domingo, how are you doing? As always, during the pandemic, air quotes, Saturday morning, sir. Roy, I'm doing great. I really hope you don't hear this fan that's right next to me because it feels <laughs> like I literally like 101 degrees. But it's always good to bring in someone that can hit, that can hit a clutch shot when, mm-hmm. when called upon. I, I mean, like we don't, we don't, we don't have people with a thirty-three percent free throw percentages on the show. <laughs> no, no, we we only go for stars. We only go for people who shoot hundred percent. Again, you give them the ball in the corner, and they'll knock down the corner three. That's what we brought in today to help us talk about the Sixers. Because again, we still we still feel the pain. So we had oh, to bring in a superstar. Uh, no, like, I, like <laughs> I had to talk myself into it was a week, and I'm like, why am I still thinking about this godforsaken game? Why am I thinking about game five? Why am I thinking about some guy named Red Velvet? Like, I, I mean, I really am having some trouble. So hopefully yes. Amy can just bring some levity or or maybe not. Maybe let's just pile no. on. Yeah, let's no, just... Well, well, <laughs> yeah, so so we again, we bring in a superstar again, Emmy Award winning anchor for NBC Sports Philadelphia and host of Sixers pre and post game live. Amy Fadul King joins us on the show. Amy, thanks for joining us. We appreciate of it. Of course, guys. It's really nice to be here. Thank you. So, so Amy, I know you're a, a capital J journalist, so I know you're professional and you kind of don't mm-hmm. let the outside stuff kind of come inside. But is there a part of you that when you turn on the TV and you watch the Bucks and the Honks in the Eastern Conference Finals, is there a little, a little part of you that says, you know what, the Sixers should still be playing basketball yeah. today? Uh, you, capital J, little J, you know, like a, a, a cursive J, whatever you want to put the, <laughs> the letter on it. Absolutely. Like, w- watching – especially watching the Hawks go down in the series so quickly. And you're thinking Sixers, Sixers could have done that. If you wanted somebody to go down to the Bucks, Sixers could have done that. Uh, it's just, you know, Chris, you were just talking about it. Game, game seven obviously was very hard to stomach, but for me, game five is really where this series was lost. I mean, you just, you had it locked up. It was done. We were saying in the newsroom that day, Oh, Look at this. This game's over by halftime. This is great. And then, of course, you know, I was uh, I was talking to Jim Lynham after the season ended, and he was saying he watched that game five back. He watched the post-game show back. He always watches the games again, and then he records it on his DVR or whatever. And he was like, we were in genuine shock. I'm like, yeah, we were. We were <laughs> genuinely shocked when the light went red for the cameras on game five post-game because we were all like, what? <laughs> What what just happened? Like, what did we just witness? And then, like, we're still like that. Watching this series with the in the Eastern Conference Finals, you're still like, yeah. what? Like, the Sixers should be there. The Sixers should be down, you know, <laughs> to the Hawks. If anybody should be, it should be the Sixers. So, so of course, our Sixers blew an 18-point lead Fuck. in one game, a 26-point lead in another game. Of course, the infamous Game 7, um, which we'll talk about. Which, a- after Game 7, again, I, I watch post-game live as well. And I saw you after game seven, you said that Simmons shooting or non-shooting, I should say, in the fourth quarter of games, fourth quarters of games was, quote, beyond irresponsible. Now, I'm going to give you a couple seconds to 
explain what you meant by that specifically. Beyond irresponsible. So I actually, so there's a, we have main producer, Brian Brendan, and then I have the senior coordinating producer, Casey Feeney, who I know you know as well, Roy. He mm -hmm. kind of oversees everything. And he's just a, a guy that's like a catch-all. He can give you stats and, and give you little fun facts or whatever to sprinkle in. And he texts me on set and he says, hey, just saw this. Ben Simmons didn't sing, take a single shot in the last four fourth quarters. And I saw it and I thought, I can't. And I literally text back, four straight fourth quarters? And he said, yes. And I was like, that is beyond irresponsible. The game, <laughs> the season, is your reputation is on the line. Everything is on the line. And you don't take a single shot in a single fourth quarter in the last four games? It's It was mind-blowing to me. I, I mm -hmm. saw it. And then I saw people tweeting about it, and I was like, "This, it, it was such an incredible stat that I thought, this, it's irresponsible as a teammate. It's irresponsible to yourself. You're a self-proclaimed all-star. And the thing is, if anybody knows me, I'm, I'm pro Ben Simmons, like to the point of like, I was embarrassed. Like I was like, I had been talking <laughs> this guy up for five years. Everybody's like, you're an idiot. Like, I was like no, I don't need him to shoot a three-pointer. He's so great. Like I sound like Doc Rivers. Now I sound like a moron because people are like, Amy, I'm like, you're okay. Well, I was right. Cause I watched him because one year in college, I was so excited. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm, I'm, the shine is so far off. Like it's not completely tarnished for me, but to not take a single shot in four straight fourth quarters, knowing that your season is on the line in games mm -hmm. four, five, six, and seven. Yeah. I mean, think about that. That's not just, game five or game seven or game six and game seven it's four straight and i know he's not a prolific shooter but like my god dude take one shot one his last <laughs> shot in game seven came with the six minutes mark to go in the third quarter like that's ridiculous that's ridiculous and of course the the one shot that we're all or the one non-shot that we're always mm -hmm. going to talk about yeah. of course is that is that is that miss dunk and again, like you, I, I've moved the goalposts, you know, back, you know, when it comes to Ben Simmons. Move. Uh, and <laughs> we have, no, no, I know as a collective, as a collective base, because like I, like people can argue whether they're pro, con Simmons, but I mean, we're all Sixers fans and we have, like me personally, I have moved them a little bit, but a lot of people have taken tractor trailers and moved them miles. And I think, Amy, just speaking, like, is, is this, the point of no like is it was this because i know that we have seen him not shoot in playoff series multiple years and there's always been that oh he's gonna get it or or we're gonna play or we're gonna work around it but was was it the the circumstances like you said playing a hawk losing to a hawks team that frankly wasn't at full strength i, I mean i really believe you lost to a b minus version of the hawks mm -hmm. And like, it, like, are all the is this the perfect storm to say, nah? Like, I, I mean, because because a lot of people are just saying, I've defended him for years, like, like you have, but no, like, I, I mean, like, I think the situation just shows, like, even thinking that we can work around this, we still need you to give us a reason not to work around it. <laughs> and I feel that this series and in particular the last three games are like, okay, no. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it's so troubling because I go back to something Doc Rivers said, and he said, you know, you guys don't know what you have here in Ben Simmons. He's a treasure. And I thought, 
I get what you're saying, and I like that a coach is going to go to bat for his player. But to say that about the fans is a little disingenuous, especially Sixers fans. Mm-hmm. Listen, we've been through a 10-win season, dude. Like, we know exactly what's <laughs> going on here. We watched them for five years. And I do think that – and I believe wholeheartedly that Doc Rivers believes that he can fix Ben Simmons. I think that he does think he can. I don't know that he can. And mostly it's because I don't know if Ben Simmons wants to be fixed. I mean, mm. he thinks – we, we heard him answer a question. He said – it is what it is. I am what I am. And I get that. And what he is, is a very good version of who he's ever going to be. And that's probably it. Is he going to develop? Everybody kept saying, oh, you know, LeBron didn't have a great three-point shoot. John Wall, those guys worked on their games. Yeah. And they actually yeah. took shots. And, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, not a great free throw shooter. He will airball it. You know what he does in the next play? Still goes down and keeps on playing basketball. So danger question Chris like is this like the last straw so to speak I mean it's the very last inch of the last straw I'm not saying the straw <laughs> is gone but I'm saying you're you're holding on by the very very end of the straw and it it's kind of one of those you know damned if you do damned if you don't because it's it's such the Philly way if you go somewhere else and develops a, a jump shot and we're like right. seriously I don't know that that's ever going to happen honestly but the thing is, I don't need him to be like a pro. I don't need him a mid-range game. We got Tobias. I don't need him a three-point shooter. I, we are we're good there. We can find somebody else. I Become a better shoot. finisher. Become yeah. a better finisher and and Just shoot sixty-four percent from the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and I think for me personally, like I've heard Ben say, I need to be aggressive way too many. Like it, it's that it, it's that I All need to. Yeah, and 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 you mentioned Doc Rivers and. He has played this kind of, I, I mean, his, because he saw how the previous regime handled Ben and he, and Brett would call him out through the media. He would say, ask his mom, ask his brother. Like, and, and Doc took the opposite approach. But can, like, do you lay any blame on, on the, on Ben Simmons as a lack of improvement on any on Doc Rivers? I mean, Doc Rivers. It's so hard because they're automatically going to get, and it's not a pass, but you're going to get like a an asterisk by any improvements that you may or may not have tried to make because you had basically no offseason, right? There was mm-hmm. no summer league for any of the rookies. There was no training camp. There was none of that stuff as far as everything happened on the fly. And because of the way the schedule was so condensed, there was very few practices. Right. So I think Doc rolls in. He knows what he's got in Ben Simmons. And he says, well, I'm going to work what, it can, what, what I can with him. And he, put Chauncey or Chauncey, he put um, Sam Cassell on him. And you're thinking, and that worked out really well. And, and you saw that. And Sam Cassell talked about it. Doc talked about it. Ben talked about it. Sam Cassell's really spoken to me and, you know, changing my mentality. And I got to get my mental straight. And you saw him in that jazz game. You thought, wow, you know, he's shooting better from the free throw line. He wasn't scared to take the shots. And then he reverted back to the Ben Simmons we knew. So I don't know what happened. I don't know if the stakes got too high, if he, you know, just was like, I can only do this for a little bit and just, it's not me. I'm so out of my comfort zone. So yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. it's a lot on Ben Simmons. At, at some point you have to take personal responsibility. You know, we hear about like how Brett Brown approached him. I want him to take a, you know, a three each game. Like that's laughable. That's, that's the most laughable thing looking <laughs> back on it I've ever heard. A three. I want him to take a shot. Step one. <laughs> Take a shot. Step two, <laughs> take one in the fourth quarter. Step three, make a free throw. Like these are like you have to really go possession by possession with him. And you have to start anew. And Ben Simmons 
has to be willing to do that. Now, he says all the right things at the end of the, the year and at these post-game press conferences. You just wonder if he actually believes it because it's kind of like that all-star player in high school. You know, he kind of skates by on a lot of different things because he's so damn good at everything, right? right? He's right. so good at, at um, you know, whether it's the quarterback or the wide receiver or the point guard or the center or whatever. He's so good. You don't have to check him on stuff. You just, you can go, dude. Look at you. But mm-hmm. then he gets to the next level and it's like, huh, well, there are some maybe some interesting things you could work on. And the player's like, listen, I got this far by doing right. everything that I know. I'm going to keep on doing that because it's worked for me. So it just, it's about that relationship. If Ben can really take it under, you know, his kind of advisement and put it with his team. And I'm fine with that. Like I'm fine if his team is on board, but Mm -hmm. the Sixers need to make sure that that their voice is also being heard throughout his team. And so it'll be interesting to see, like, it just, if they have a full off season to work with him wherever he is out in California or wherever, if they can actually work whatever their program is, as Doc says, you know, I don't think he was doing the right things, as Doc put it. Maybe he wasn't. I mean, we all we all saw the Instagram videos. They look great on video. <laughs> Instagram, he was amazing in IG. But we never saw that really translate consistently. I mean, even not even inconsistently. It happened like three times. <laughs> We're talking with Amy Fadul Kane again, host of Sixers and Pre and Post Game Live for NBC Sports Philadelphia. We always, Chris and I always joke about the the Instagram videos of Ben Simmons. You know, the the new ones that come out. Is he going to have a shirt on this week, or is he not going to have a shirt on? Who knows? Who's he going to? Is Taj Gibson going to be in this one? Is he not? Who knows? Let's talk about his offseason workouts because again, Doc said Doc's on the record, and you mentioned Doc says, you know, I, basically I know what's wrong. We know what's wrong. We're going to fix it, and we, we kind of have a plan to kind of fix this. Whatever it is with Ben, and I, I think it's mental, but whatever it is with Ben, whether it's mental or whether it's the whole physical switching hands thing, which I don't think that is, but what we'll talk about that later. Whatever it is, is it something that you think can be fixed in a single offseason? Because, again, they start playing basketball, I think, October 19th. So we have three months, four months from now until then. Can they fix whatever's going on with Ben Simmons so that he's a – I don't want to say he's a functional offensive player, but you know you know what I'm trying to say, right? Yeah, I know what you're trying to say. I mean, he's got to – he has to change his mentality. And we saw him do it in the limited – times right you know he we talked mm-hmm. to him about after the you know where he exploded for the jazz game and you're like okay i don't need you to give me like 30 plus dude i do need you to, to get me into the teams like that's what we're looking for and and talking with jim lineham you know i work with jim lineham and mark jackson who are just both amazing and they always have different approaches which is so great to have this jim's always of the mind mark's like he wants more he wants more scoring he wants more points jim's like i just want more volume just give me more shots i don't care i'm not going to put a number on him which is coach speak which i get I'm not going to put, you know, the 16, 17, 18 points. I am going to put 11, 12, 13 shots. That's Mm. a number. And so that's kind of what we keep hearing, this quota. So is it enough for him? It just depends if he buys in, guys. I mean, we all can change ourselves if if you're in and you allow it and you're receptive to that thought. You can make the change, whether it's something in your personal life or your work life or whatever. Everybody has the ability to adapt and kind of change themselves. But it's a conscious effort, especially something that goes against everything you've ever done in the X amount of years you've been on this world. You have to really buy into it and keep doing it. You have to almost remind yourself like, okay, I know this isn't like look yourself in the mirror. Like, I know this isn't in my comfort zone, but I got to keep doing it. And if you keep practicing at that, maybe then it becomes more rote and it's just your automatic behavior. So to your to your question, 
I don't think it's enough of a single off season for it to become the automatic kind of rote behavior where he's not looking to pass first, second, third, fourth. But I do think they can at least instill the idea of, okay, if you do this, this is where you can go. And maybe you need to use tangible examples. I, I go back to when LeBron James lost his first title, the first time they lost to the Warriors. He was like, mm-hmm. oh, you need team ball. <laughs> you need a bunch <laughs> of people. You can't right. just have me and like one dude, which is hilarious because he, he did like him and one dude, one of the Lakers <laughs> last year, but whatever. It's a really <laughs> special dude. But you know, he, he took away from that, that first Cavaliers-Warriors series and was like, huh. So you need to have this whole almost like positionless, you know, crazy talented, a bunch of guys maybe that are like pretty good to go along with me. And then he went, you know, obviously they they formed a really good team and they went on and those guys were, I mean, those are some great battles. So it just depends if you're you're willing to work at it. When the when Jordan was playing, you know, they started really fronting him up close. You know, he, mm-hmm. as soon as he crossed the, that timeline, especially the three-point line. So he worked on his fadeaway jumper, something that wasn't in his game. But he was they made a conscious effort of like, all right, if they're playing me like this, I have to do this. If I'm Ben Simmons and the only place I can play on the entire court is in that low plus, you know, dunker spot, I need to start start from there and work my way out and be, you know, I'm talking the guys that I mentioned are some of the all time greats. Some two would mm-hmm. say, some would say two of the greatest players who ever play the game, and they still worked on their game. So if I'm Ben Simmons, I have to put that humility, you know, and put it on me and say. If I want to be in the conversation of even the 20 best players in the league, I have to take this. I don't know that he's that guy right now. I'm I'm waiting to see. I'm hopeful, but I don't know that. I guess the follow-up question is, do the Sixers have that luxury? Because I feel that, I, I mean, like, people don't want to admit it, but I think this, Joel Embiid's on a timeline, and I don't think you can waste, I, I mean, I feel like, you wasted I, – I know they were the number one seed, and, and that you was great, it. but but I feel it. like you wasted an MVP caliber year from Joel mm-hmm. Embiid, and I don't know, as even the most optimistic person, I don't know how, how, how many more of these you got from him because he's undoubtedly a franchise player, a, the best – he can be the best player on a championship team. I just don't know how long you can – how long he can do that, especially with his propensity just to miss games. I, I mean, it – like it is what it is, but can the Sixers afford to to have Ben Simmons' fate in their hands, knowing all the external factors that are at, they're at play? Honestly, Chris, no. I mean, <laughs> we all know that the the timelines for a lot of these players, Joel Embiid especially in this case, is short. You have no yeah. idea what tomorrow brings for anybody. You know, you look at Kevin Durant. You know, and 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 I go back to Doc Rivers talking about when the Thunder were in the finals. Oh, yeah, look at this Thunder team. I mean, are you kidding That's me? That's a perfect, have like, that is the perfect example because I feel the that. The Thunder were in the finals not that long ago. The finals. Yeah, they have yeah. now 17 first round picks in like the next nine years. Like they are mm-hmm. literally the tanking of tanks. They are steamrolling tanks. That's how big their tank <laughs> is. They're just, they're full on. So to miss out on a year where you've got the best that Tobias Harris has ever played in his career. Yeah. And you've got an MVP caliber season in Joel Embiid, who's putting up ungodly numbers. And the stuff he does is just mind-blowing. Yeah. You have to remember that he's 7'1", like 270, and he's out there working on his Dirk Nowitzki, shooting threes, and then backing down people in the low post and dunking on them. And it's just, you're thinking, oh, and by the way, he shoots like 86% from the free throw line. Yeah, <laughs> he's, a, he's a unicorn. 
forget about Porzingis. He's the unicorn. He's, you're never going to see anybody quite like him again. So, no, they don't have that luxury. If they bring back Simmons and it's not working out, the trade deadline is your deadline because you can't lose another year. You're looking at maybe – you look at it. Look at the Phillies, right? Hey, yeah, we won yeah. 101 games. They literally haven't even – oh, they kind of sniffed the playoffs last year when they opened it up to, like, the second wild card and they had to win, like, one of the last seven games and they didn't. But <laughs> you have such small windows for any championship, NBA in particular, especially with free agency and the way super teams are being built left and right. Think about if James Harden hadn't gotten hurt and if Kyrie hadn't been there, we would absolutely be seeing the Nets, certainly in the Eastern Conference Finals, if not the NBA Finals. So yeah. if they're all healthy next year, forget about it. This is, you know, it's, it's all she wrote. You got to get all in. Look what the Bucks did. They knew they were missing a piece. They go out and get Chris Middleton. I mean, not Chris Middleton. They go out and get Drew Holiday, who has been a, a world of difference in their regular season and in their playoffs, mm -hmm. defensively and otherwise. You have to make it work. And Daryl Morey knows that. That's one thing that I do believe in is that he knows what it takes to win titles. He knows what it takes to win uh, now. And he knows that this window, this window for the Sixers is you're looking at you know two, three years to really capitalize on a title. So if it's if you're not fully in on Ben Simmons, and I don't know what you need to see, that's their evaluation. But if you're not fully in come mm -hmm. October 19th, as you said, Roy, then you got to, it's not fish or cut bait. It's, it's cut bait or trade bait like that's it like you need mm -hmm. either you got to move no on. pun intended <laughs> yeah right <laughs> so so we're, we're talking trades and we're talking ben simmons and, and again I, I hate to bring this up amy but a lot of these trade proposals these scenarios they include one tyrese maxi i know, I know tyrese little... maxi is <laughs> the worst <laughs> and i know i know you're kind of attached to tyrese maxi for some reason i have no idea why but yeah. if they sixers had to give up tyrese maxi as part of one of these i'll say mega deals to land someone like a let's let's dream for a little bit damian lillard would you would you be okay with that yeah, I mean, obviously, as as a, a, a Tyrese Maxey fan, a guy that went to Kentucky, my alma mater, I love him. <laughs> and I love that the Sixers fans have just automatically, like, attached themselves to him because he has fun, he plays his heart out, and he works his butt off. Like, he's everything that Philadelphia wants. And for once, a team actually drafted who they were supposed to draft. Like, it was almost, like, mind-blowing. You're watching him fall to 21, you're like, no. They'll, they'll overthink of it and take some guy over in Europe and like, we'll just, you know, we'll be stuck over here. And then they drafted right. him and we were so excited because he's exactly who you wanted them to take. And he's exactly who they needed. They needed that combo guard, a guy that you can put the ball in his hands and that you mm -hmm. don't have to have the ball in his hands because he can shoot. So yeah, it would be disappointing. I mean, out of the trade stuff, you're looking at Matisse Seibel and Tyrese Maxey and a couple of draft picks. You have to make a mega deal. Once again, the Sixers are looking for a, a shooter who can create his own shot. I mean, I feel, I feel like I'm a, a broken record here. Damian Lillard is that guy. And yep. if he's not happy in Portland, you know, it's, I think the Sixers for the first time in a long time are an actual really good destination. I don't know that I could say that even two or three years ago. I don't know that people looked at the Sixers and thought, yeah, that's a title contending team. And I think this year they let everybody know. We are a title contending team. We do want to go all in. Look what this guy did. If Jokic hadn't had this insane season, he would be the MVP. He was second in voting. And the fact they only got one first place vote, which is just is mind blowing. But it doesn't, everyone around the league noticed. They all know what the Sixers have as far as a special player in Embiid and that they have that capability to challenge. Now that the Lakers and LeBron are kind of on this side and you have no right. idea what the health is going on with the Nets, 
you the you got to strike while the iron is hot. This is like, you know, in the 90s when Jordan left. You got to go ahead and be the Rockets and take advantage because you're not going to win the titles when he comes back. You know, you're not going to when these super teams mm-hmm. come on and you know, if Zion Williamson or somebody good crazy goes to like a, another super team, these superstars start forming again with each other. There's there's going to be another super team out there, whether it's right. the Nets again or, or, you know, wherever Anthony Davis goes. These guys are too talented out there and they're going to start teaming up again. And the Sixers are going to be like, wait, team up here. Team up with <laughs> us. Don't leave us in the dust. So I think that, yes, it's it's disheartening because I like Tyrese Maxey so much for a myriad of reasons. Um most notably that he did go to Kentucky, but <laughs> it, it's it, it's a deal that if Damian Lillard is out there and you can get you can get him without completely leveraging, you know the entire future. You know, maybe two first round picks, Bible and Maxi with Simmons gets it done. I mean that's a huge haul, but if you're call Daryl Moore, Amy, it, call him right now. That's the no, thing. I, I, you're I, looking I, at it. Your first round picks are like what 30, 29? Yeah, they're whatever. Yeah, Nothing. you might as well have a second rounder. Exactly. Exactly. No I, uh, no, I think what people don't realize with when you when you get that second superstar is guys want to come to you. They'll take mm-hmm. the vet minimum. They'll be they'll be in the mix with the buyout guys. Like I mean, like a Blake Griffin. Like I, I mean, like yep. guys aren't aren't willing to take the vet minimum to be get to get bounced in the second round. I, I mean, that's like that is one of those fringe benefits you would say of having that second superstar. Yeah. And to your point, it's like you need those guys if you're going to make a title run because they're the the role players that come off your bench and that don't, you know, they can rise to the moment and they can hit a big three when you need them to and are not going to turn the ball over because they've been through the wars. They know what it takes. They've been around the league, you know, 10 years or so. So you're right, Chris, when you think about it, if you form, you know, a dynamic team with two superstars, let's say they get Damian Lillard, for example, a guy that Mm -hmm. can create a shot. And they have Tobias Harris, who's like that mid-range game, whose defense was much improved and had a very good playoffs, despite you know one or two bad games against the Hawks. I mean, he averaged over 22 points, shot almost 52% from the field. Mm-hmm. He's a very reliable player for your number three. And I think people know that. You're thinking, all right, you get a couple of bench pieces in those veteran minimums and maybe one other guy. It's, it's a very good makeup. And it's the same makeup that you would look at for some previous championship teams that have two superstars that can score at will. Any, either one can give you 30 to 40 points on any given night. You've got your next guy down is going to average in the 20s. And then you've right. got role players that are going to give you, you know, double digits. That is how you win. The defense is already there. We got it. It'll be, you know, disheartening to lose a guy like Matisse Seibel because he is so good defensively, but you can't play him on the offensive end in the playoffs. He's too mm-hmm. much of a liability. So you go out there and you find a guy like a Danny Green, but maybe, you know, that's a, a, a little bit healthier. Obviously, he didn't have any health issues until when it really counted. So I hate to discount him for that. But, you know, he would have been at least a nice puzzle piece to have. You don't know. Right. Maybe he could have guarded Kevin Herter, Opie Cunningham. I'm not sure. <laughs> it could have done a better job than, than what they did. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris and I always have this discussion about hierarchies. And like you said, the Bucks have a, a really good hierarchy when it comes to Giannis and Chris Middleton and, and Drew Holiday. And, and I think that was the plan for the Sixers uh, when it came to the process. And I'll ask you this question because we ask everyone this question who comes on the show to talk basketball. Was the process a success? Yeah, it's funny because I, I always get asked, is the process over? And I'm like, yeah, the process is dead now, I guess. The process to me was always a two-part process. And you have to go back to Hinky which it just seems like eons ago now. 
Um, his process in his mind was obviously tank for the draft picks, then make yourself a viable free agent destination. He always had a two-part plan. And a lot of people mm -hmm. forget that second part because they think it was all about the draft picks and developing the draft. You got to tank for the one, two, three pick. You got to get in that lottery or whatever. That was right. obviously the first step. Then it was create some kind of winning environment that people will be able to gravitate towards and will look at it and think, yes, I would like to join that team. So was it successful in that regard? Yes, you tanked successfully. You got you know, two high, three high draft picks, um, one of which you use horribly, just incredibly <laughs> horrible. Um, that was the draft that I actually was at and seemed like such a nice kid at the time. And I thought, ah, why are you one? And looking around like, I don't have any of these guys. But you know, he was graded high. I don't know that he was graded one Markel Fultz by anybody except for the Sixers, but whatever, that's neither here nor there. But your goal mm -hmm. was to tank until you get you know, all these top draft picks checked. Then become somewhat good enough that people want to join you, that they can see your vision. Check. Yeah. You, know, you had people tr trying to join you some to some degree. Um, that was really more the case the last two years. So the process took longer than expected. And I think that's why when people think about it, say that maybe it didn't work. But technically, on its face, yes, the process worked. Now, it hasn't resulted in, I mean, they haven't gotten past the second round of the playoffs since 2001. It is right. a mind-blowing fact when you think about that they've had some talented teams and they've had some you know, things go their way as far as injuries on opponents in the playoffs and things like that. But they just they it's maybe it's obviously a mental block. So in that regard, the process has not been fulfilled because I think Hinky always envisioned at least the NBA Finals in his final kind of process vision. But mm -hmm. no, when he when he delineated his process, when he talked about you got to trust the process, the process was tank. Hey, get one, two picks, you know, top picks, one, two, or three, usually number one. They got a couple of those. Garner the assets, turn those mm -hmm. into something else, check, and then obviously make yourself a free agent destination. So, yes, on its face, the process was successful. I hesitate to say that knowing <laughs> they lost a seven-game series with home court advantage against the Hawks yeah. team, you mentioned, Roy, that didn't have one of their better players in DeAndre Hunter. Uh, it's, so it's hard to, it's hard to say that. But on its face, yes, the process it checked all the bra the, the boxes. Oh, it's just awful. <laughs> now, Amy, like us, you've you you've been around for for a minute. I I, I I mean, you're Philly, and you've you've covered sports here for for a long time. Can you remember the last loss, or or the last like not even loss because I feel that there was a string of losses that kind mm -hmm. of like I don't know just <laughs> manifested itself into. Just I don't know people calling Ben Crumbum. So I, I mean, what is <laughs> no like like just without much thought? Is, is there another I mean, game that brought you that brought you to your knees? Honestly, Game Five is an all timer for me. I've never <laughs> experienced anything like that, and that goes back to I mean, I've witnessed you know victory just escape, just like a, a whisper in the wind from. Kentucky basketball, Kentucky football to different teams I've covered. And you're thinking, oh my God, 2009 World Series comes to mind because that was the super team and yeah. it was there for the taking. And you're thinking, it just, yeah, it went that quickly. Like, it just, mm -hmm. oh. So th that's probably the, the first one that comes to mind as far as a gut wrenching. You knew that you had it 
and it was there for the taking and you just it slipped out of your fingers as a fan those are the worst kinds it's another thing to to kind of like get there and just be so excited and think oh like the hawks would have been totally fine if they went to seven games and lost to be honest they fired the coach they had quite the turnaround they've got these young stars and they're thinking look at us like oh we're in the eastern right. conference final like they would have been fine losing but no the Sixers didn't want to. They said, we don't want it. You take it. And they said, all right, you're going to give it to us. So as far like as far as a, a, an experience where I thought, this is definitely a win, and then you blinked and you thought, what? where did the win go? I was here, and it was they were winning, and the victory was there, and we're already thinking about the next round, and then they're right. gone. So the 2009 World Series comes to mind because I was thinking, wow, you know, they've got this stellar pitching staff. The offense rakes. The, the bullpen was actually talented. Mm -hmm. That was sudden, 10 years ago, too. It's been, a, it's been a while. Right, exactly. It was like holding sand, and then you opened your fingers, and it just, you don't know where it went. It just <laughs> it slipped right through. It was really, those, that was, but honestly, I've never in my entire life of watching sports, and I've seen some, some doozies. <laughs> I've never seen a, a game in life. I, I honestly, we kept thinking, certainly, <laughs> it's going to stop, right? Right, no, right. No, it's not. No, it didn't. Never did. And yeah. I think that you're Never. like you're as you're as plugged close to the team as as any non-member of the org or member of the organization is. You're watching these games with with guys that have that have lived basketball for ever. I, I mean, yeah. Coach Line is an icon in this town. Mark Jackson has been around forever. Like when you see hoop like like career hoopers just watch a game like this like how like i mean what is the experience like to to watch it with them and they're living like because they have another lens that that you or i don't have it's reassuring i'll tell you that much because it lets you know that you're not alone it's like uh if you're a golfer and you watch a, a golfer on tour duff a shot you're thinking oh at least he does that too i don't feel so bad right, so right. when jim line or mark jackson are are sitting there saying they've never seen anything like it or you know, it's one of the worst losses they've ever seen or, or what a collapse, you know, it's just you know, unbelievable. Then it makes you think, well, at least I'm not alone. Like, at least I've got these guys who, like you said, Jim Lynham is 79 years old. So he has seen more basketball than we could ever even think about seeing. Mark Jackson grew up here, played basketball, not only at Temple, but obviously for the Sixers, has played overseas. Right. These guys had decades and decades of basketball experience at all different levels. And they've both been coaches at different levels. Jim's obviously been the general manager. And for them just to walk on that set and the red light goes and we're all stunned, almost speechless. And knowing everybody at home is the same, I was like, "This. I hope you guys are feeling okay, as okay as you can feel, <laughs> to know that we're with you. We had never seen anything like it. And it was definitely something that it, it helps you, even if it's more like piling on because you're like, oh, I was wanting you to see anything different. And they obviously bring their own little nuanced takes to it. But no, I mean, it's it's really helpful to be in the room with them. And they definitely have different takes, different things about, you know, how you should fix things. But, you know, they're in agreement on a lot of things. And sitting in there and, and getting to, to watch games with them, especially at games, you know, like five and seven that we saw, it's, it's both reassuring and, and disheartening because you're thinking, oh, I wanted you to see something else. I wanted you to give me something else, but no, you're with me. <laughs> you're with me crying in your beers, just like everybody. Else. 
you know, we're just like athletes too, right? You know, we're, we're all the yes, same. Yes, they're just like us. <laughs> they're just like us. They're, they're just like us. Uh, you mentioned watching the games with those guys, which again, you know, a year ago, you know, from you know, a year ago now, and we weren't able to do it because we were all sitting at home, you know, in the middle of the pandemic. We were getting ready for the bubble um, at this time last year. Um, but now you get to watch those games with those guys. Again, just in general, and we'll move on from the Sixers after this, just in general, how much how much better is it to kind of be in the same room and watch the games with these guys in the newsroom and just kind of like kind of just watch games and kind of just see the whole just the whole atmosphere itself? How much better is it now than as, a, as opposed to like last year in the bubble? Oh, so much better. It's just, you know, even though we're, we're kind of still pared down at work as far as who's in the office and who's not, it's really people only associated with the game broadcast and pre and post game shows. It's just so much better because the energy that you you garner from watching it, it's just like being out at a sports bar, good or bad. You, you know, everybody around you is, is kind of feeding off of each other and right. you, you enjoy that energy. And so when you are watching the game and you, know, you can make a comment or they make a comment, you pick up on it obviously helps for the, the shows pre or post game. You're talking about everything and, and knowing they're right there and I don't have to, you know. We're not on a Zoom call across the room or whatever, and he's not sitting 25 feet away in a different office. It's right. just like, hey, Jim, what'd you see on that? Or, wow. And Jim will be, Jim and Mark both, they'll be like, let me see that again, or hope, give me a replay, because they see stuff. Obviously, they watch with a really critical eye. So it's just so much better. It's just, it's better for me as a host because I can not only take in a lot more information, but my energy level is mm-hmm. matched because I'm, you know, it's almost like a give and take, but right. it's just, it's better because they're, they're fun guys. I just generally, we're generally, we're all friends. We hang out, you know, without the shows. So it's just nice to be with them and experience the games with them, period. We're talking with Amy Fadul Kane. Uh, I still anchor. can't believe yes. they lost. I still can't <laughs> I believe they lost. In front of, no, like, no, you, you brought the whole, like, people like getting closer closer to normal and there were fans in the stands i mean like 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 they can't even blame like not having energy i mean i Mm. still cannot get over you lost three games at home to the hawks three Sorry, we can end this time. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's okay. it's okay. No, we're talking with Amy Fadul Kane again, anchor for NBC Sports Philadelphia. A couple more questions before we let you go, Amy, because we're talking about the pandemic. And speaking of the pandemic, you know, a lot of us picked up things during the pandemic. You know, I picked up you know twenty extra pounds. Um, you know, Chris picked up you know some some habits of buying T-shirts online. Um, but I also became a, a fan of Chelsea football and a fan of, specifically of Christian Pulisic, who I know you're a fan oh, of as yeah. well. So since we have you on, I have to ask you a question because you are more well-versed in this than I am. Is it too early to say that Christian Pulisic is the best American soccer player ever? No, that's not too early. Anybody that watches him play, you can say that. I mean, let's go back. And uh, honestly, Roy, I mean, the Pantheon is not that big for greatest (laughs) American footballers as they they were. You're looking at like a Claudia Reyna. Uh, Landon Donovan. I mean, these guys right. are obviously very, very good. Claudia Reyna used to be like the peak because he was a guy that was so good, so young to play overseas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's where the good players go. They don't go, as we know, to the MLS until they're you know, ready to kind of hang up their cleats, so to speak. But right. no, he's this phenom. He's a true phenom. And it's disappointing that people don't know how good he is unless you get up early or stay up late to watch Chelsea or you get to see mm-hmm. him because our men's team is just, it's just not good. There's just no way to say it. They are the, mm-hmm. they're one of the worst um, in the world. They can't even make the World Cup, you know, qualifiers. 
much right. less get on that national stage. So no, he, I don't think it's too early. I think this guy, um, I just wish there were more of him. I wish there was more of <laughs> the, the, that kind of level. Now there are some good other American young players and mm -hmm. it's definitely you can see that maybe eventually they're going to be okay. You just don't, you don't want to miss out on capitalizing on something like Pulisic has, like he's just dynamic and you watch him play. You can't help but gravitate towards him when you see him play. Um, right. I like that you're Chelsea. I'm Liverpool, and that's okay. We can still be uh, friends. We're, we're cool. We're all cool. All right? We're we can cool. still be yeah. friends because we're all that's about fine. Christian in this one. But, no, I think that he's <laughs> – I highly recommend to everybody to, to take in any kind of match. If you see Chelsea's going to be on, even if it's a friendly or just any kind of you know preseason type of match, just try to watch because he just is a special, special player, and you don't want him to get too old while the young guys are coming up and they don't get to capitalize. Not that he's all – he's – Literally, we're talking about guys in their twenties, which is just yeah. mind blowing. He's old. Who's that guy? Oh my gosh, he's almost thirty. He's not even thirty. He's not even close to thirty. Right. It's it's funny you mentioned because you're talking about uh, guys who go over to you know if you're really good at soccer, you play in one of the bigger leagues, the Premier League, you know, whatever. And then you come to MLS, like you said, in the, at the tail end of your career. And it kind of reminds me of of when David Beckham first came over to the MLS and he played for the LA Galaxy. He just kind of like jumped off the screen. Like I wasn't a huge soccer oh, fan yeah. back then, but you could it was it was miles different like the way he played soccer was miles different from anybody else on the field and that's what a lot of what i see from from Pulisic. and again mm -hmm. like you said he's what 22 23 years old again he's like he's in the very the, basically the infancy of his career and even playing in the premier league you can see he'll come in either as a you know he come in as a sub and you can see for like 15 minutes like he's the best mm -hmm. player in the field um a lot of the times which is which is pretty dynamic i am trying to get chris to to kind of embrace the beauty that is premier league soccer he's not there oh, yet it's so. a beautiful game they call it a beautiful <laughs> game can we talk about football like actual football it is football <laughs> they use their feet chris there you, there you now, go. now um going to the american uh version of, of of soccer or football amy do we have any hope with the eagles because i really feel like i really feel like with the phillies is that guy coming David, back yeah. <laughs> no, no, I feel like, like, is this just like, I don't know, just, I, I, I mean, like, how many more, like, debts do we need to pay off for February the 4th, 2018? I feel like game five was just another payment in that, like, I don't know, like, sports debt, like, how many more, how many more debts do we need to pay to say, okay, we can stop trying to be 90s Cowboys fans that live off this thing, and we can move on. It's funny. I literally had this conversation with, with my husband Sean today, because he was like, "Hey, you know, 2000." We, were, I said, "Because he brought up, what would you do for Damian Lillard?" And I was like, "This gives you an insight of what we talk about at our home." Do <laughs> <laughs> anything besides sports? No, we don't. We really like it. That's why we both work in sports. But he he brought up, you know, a couple of picks, a couple of first round picks. He did Ben Simmons, Tyrese Maxey. He's like, "You you do the deal to get this." And I was, he's like, you know, I was like, you know, that's what you guys. We can't have nice things here. I say that all the time. We're not allowed to have nice things. And I don't know <laughs> what we did. I don't know what it is because, you know, Boston, they used to have like their whole bit. Oh, this is the curse of the Babe Ruth. Oh, and then, oh, the Billy Goat in Chicago. I don't know what ours is. They said it's a Billy Pin. That doesn't really work. I, I There's something else. Yeah. Somebody knows where like something's gone wrong. And we need to fix it because those teams are erasing a hundred year histories. And now they're like willing, like championships, like coming, like Boston celebrates a championship every other day. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. No one likes them. All right. Chicago, every other, oh, look, oh, we haven't seen the Cubs. Oh, that's fun. Black, oh, yeah. Now it's the Cubs. 
Okay, but, next thing we know, the Bulls are going to be back in the finals for Pete's sake, <laughs> and the Sixers are going to be like, cool. If the Bears win a Super Bowl, but <laughs> the Eagles get back to the Super Bowl, that's it. i got to find out where all the bodies are buried, and we got to <laughs> rearrange something because things have gone wrong. But no, to your point, Chris, like, it, it's you were cashing in. It was a magical run. I just don't know why we can't have more magic. Why, why can't we have more than one nice thing? We had one nice, shiny thing in, like, 50 years, it seems like. We had 2008, <laughs> woo! And then all of a sudden, nothing. We can't even get back right. to the playoffs in the Phillies. And then we had the 83 Sixers. I, I, I mean, 2001, you only won one game in the finals. I can't even celebrate that because it was yeah. like you got there and it was like, oh, well, we just got there. Now we can't even get back, can't even get past the second round. So what <laughs> happened? I need to find it. I don't know who it is, but we will find it and we will remedy this because Football, I don't see them getting to the Super Bowl this year. Like I don't I don't see it. I don't and I, I like Jalen Hurts, but it's hard to get to the Super Bowl. And I don't look at the Eagles last year and think, yeah, they're like one or two moves away. No, it's not right. one or two moves away. Now you have a guy that's never been a head coach. I mean, it worked, I guess, with Doug Peterson, but they're I three mean, years removed and they fired their coach and the quarterback. Exactly. I mean, they like, fired like, their Super Bowl winning coach. We're going backwards. <laughs> we don't, we're going the wrong way. <laughs> Amy, since since we're talking football, I do have to ask you this question, you know, again before we let you go, about our mutual friend Barrett Brooks. Now, I shouldn't take it personally when I send him a DM and he doesn't get back to me like in, like until like nine then nine, ten days later, right? Like that's that's normal. I've heard that's normal. Let me tell you about my guy, Barrett Brooks. Okay. When we were in the office together, which has been a while, but Barrett and I used to have off, like our desks were really close to each other. Even when we were downstairs, people don't know, they redid our newsroom like two, three years ago now, and we all moved upstairs. Even now, even then we were still um, close. I would sometimes walk by or I would send him a message and be like, hey, did you get that? And I'm literally in the same room as him. And I would see on his either phone or his desk, the 4,692 emails that were unanswered, <laughs> the 1,265,000 text messages that still had the red, and anxi- my anxiety would just start to rise. Oh, oh, no, I, I don't, I don't get those bubble, like those like I thousand, I, thousand. If I no- see a red number, I'm like, I don't even know what I'm checking, but I'm checking this. It's a notification from Wawa to tell me I got a free hoagie. So I'm gonna check it because I can't have that. On oh, no, no, so, like so. Barrett, he will. You, you could call him, and he <laughs> might respond to your message. And it's not out of anything other than he just isn't that guy. He's not a message mm-hmm. checker. Like we have a lot of like work meetings and through Zoom and sometimes in person before this, but it's definitely in Zoom. And I will have to text him like this meeting has started. Can you send me the link? It is in your email. When did they send it? God knows, Barrett, where it is in your email. I will send you the link right now. So I don't want you to get in trouble. So Barrett, you can you can quote me on that. You have Barrett on. You tell him to check his email and check his messages. And, and that's the thing. Like, I, I want to have Barrett. I want to have his number. You know, I can DM him or whatever like that. It's probably going to take like four or five weeks. And so Years, like, maybe. I got to like plan this out. <laughs> maybe, maybe August, Roy. Maybe August. Maybe. Maybe, you should set a goal August first, and then we'll work from there. But I'll uh, I can also get on him because he knows that I uh, that I'm on him all the time. Because I'm like Barrett, you, get, <laughs> you gotta respond. He's like, I, I just didn't see the message. I don't check my messages. Like I know you don't, my friend. But sometimes people <laughs> need to reach you. <laughs> Again, we're talking with Amy Fadul Kane, again anchor for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Amy, you have you have some time off now, I think. And then the, the Sixers are done. 
So, so what's yeah, up next? What do you, what do you, yeah. So I do, um, like the other night I did our morning show, our sports net central. Um, we tape it at night, like it's after the, all, all the games and everything have wrapped up. Um, we tape that at night, either in studio or, or sometimes from home, but a lot of times, most of the time in studio now, which is nice to be back in studio. Um, I'll do the Phillies warm up now since the Phillies are the only game in town. Michael Barkin is going to be taking some vacation later on the summer. So I'll fill in from him on okay. the Phillies and pre and post. And then of course, you know, um, we've got, God bless coming you. Up. God bless you with that. Uh, Phillies. I'm going, uh, right uh, the frying pan and the <laughs> so right thing together. And then, you know, we'll, we'll have some good draft coverage. Obviously the draft isn't what it was before, but I always write a couple of mock drafts. I do some draft profiles and I kind of do okay. some deep dives into, um, some of these players and then it, you know hopefully they can have some workouts i mean that was one thing we missed last year yeah. we didn't get to talk to some of the players that um came in for draft workouts and kind of see where the sixers heads are at you just had to fly blind obviously they drafted very well i think in tyrese maxi but hopefully they those guys um can start coming in person when the draft you know is leading up to the draft and i'll go out and do some some even if it's zooms kind of some deep dive on profiles and uh hopefully predict accurately like i did last year that they would draft tyrese maxi even though i thought it was a pipe dream yeah, was that more of a dream or, or a wish than, than a prediction? Oh, or? it was absolutely because he was a projected okay. lottery pick, if you remember. So I just thought that's right. yeah, that's you know, true. if he's there, this is the this is a player I would take because you know he's a combo guard. He can he shoots better than his percentages well because everybody thought he was not a good three point shooter. He wasn't asked to shoot three well because Emmanuel quickly was that guy for them and they right. didn't need him to. Um, so he could play with the ball, you know, in his hands and not. And I said, if they can't take him, you should take a guy like that, but you should take Tyrus Maxey if he's there. And then I just looked like a genius. Everybody's like, how'd you know? I'm like, I didn't know he's supposed to go like 14 or 15. Who knew he'd be there at 21? And, and, Such and, a novel concept to, to draft guys from really good programs. Right like, Kentucky, huh. like Kentucky basketball, Alabama. Like, I can't remember the last Alabama time that. that yeah, I, I mean, like, we. I think we broke the trend. Maybe just – just draft Kentucky guys. I know you'll be hyped about that, but I, I mean, like, it's a nice, it's a nice little pipeline that they have there. You, you'll probably do well by drafting. It seems so easy. It's I go back though, like when a player plays at a high level at a at a very competitive Division One college, you should look at them. Mikael Bridges should be a sixer for Pete's sake. <laughs> like, look at what he's doing. You're thinking that his guy mom wore, his mom was the HR director for it the was, Sixers. I don't it was know too why. Good to be true, Chris. We could that we can't have nice things. And I get I know that it turned into draft picks and then you got to bias and whatever. Like listen, find a way sometimes to make the right player work. But yes, you know, he had just won a national championship with Villanova, and you're thinking, well, that's good. I know I'm going to trade him for a guy that's not going to be in the league anymore. That's the smart move. <laughs> that's it. To, I got it. To be fair, none of us expected the whole Zaire Smith situation. Th- that said, no, we didn't. I mean, <laughs> that said, Mikael Bridges made too much sense. But again, this is Philadelphia. Amy, you've been here long enough to understand how things exactly. work. That's why Tyrese Maxey, we almost were like, Shh, don't say anything. Maybe they don't know that they drafted him. Because it made too much sense to take him. Let's just don't just don't talk about it. And then the next day we all woke up and went, no, no, they did take that. Good. We're excited. We're excited. So it'll be no. it'll be good to see. Um, obviously it was a weird year. I don't know this year, Chris, if they should take anybody from Kentucky because Kentucky <laughs> was bad this year. Yeah, of course, maybe they're really good NBA players and they were just terrible in college because it was such a wonky year. But you know, you could take take, take somebody maybe somebody from Gonzaga. They had a good year. Take somebody from Gonzaga. Yeah, and, and and maybe again, not to put more work on you, Amy, but maybe the Sixers won't have a first round draft pick this year because maybe they'll use that in the trade 
to get a Damian Lillard, and then of course you have to come up, come on for the the sports of the. Then uh, I got to uh, do my deep special. dive. I got to pull out my like my Euro basketball knowledge. <laughs> on my YouTube. <laughs> That's what I got to do my YouTube searches. So again, Amy Fadul Kane, again anchor for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Amy, thank you for joining us. This is awesome. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Thank you. That was our interview with Amy Fadul Kane, anchor for NBC Sports Philadelphia. Huge thanks to her for stopping by and checking in with us. Of course, we couldn't do things right because if we scheduled this perfectly, we would have scheduled that interview a day later because a day later, earlier this week, we got news that legendary, and I mean legendary, Sixers broadcaster Mark Zumoff is stepping away after nearly three decades on the microphone. Before we get into it, Mr. Domingo, let me give me your initial reaction when you heard the news that Mark Zumoff was retiring. Sadness. No, like I, I don't like someone someone said it on Twitter and it really like the first thing you think about when you think of Mark Zimoff is Allen Iverson. Like he like he was the voice of Iverson. And it's not to say that Allen Iverson still wouldn't be a legend and an icon without Mark Zimoff, but you need that amplifier. And he was the one, like I I mean, like the first player you think of, like when you think of Mark Zimoff is AI. And and he said such in his in his Hall of Fame speech. I mean, it is, and it's rare to be connect, to have a broadcaster connected to a player. Like you don't really have that with a Merrill Reese or even like with Harry. I think you can you could put Mike Schmidt with him, and like you could probably put like Utley or Rollins because like I don't know people remember those calls. But man, like it's the only guy you think of. it's the first guy you think of with Mark Zumoff. and it, I, I mean like he just he was the best. I mean, like, he he took excitement but not overboard. He was informative, and he was – it seemed like he cared. Like, I mean, like, that's mm-hmm. – and I think it was reciprocal, too, where, I mean, like, people were broken up. I was broken up about it. And that's mm-hmm. the sign to say, you know, he let – he said, like, thank you for letting us into our homes. But, like, I mean, you just – you gave us three decades worth of just, like, memories. Yeah, and it was it was really unexpected. It came out of left field, and like you said, like I never thought I'd be you know that broken up or that emotional by you know a play by play guy retiring. Um, but you know I was like when the news that, that Zimoff was retiring, you know like I was I was shaken up. I was like, oh man, like this is this is again this is something I'm not used to because Mark Zumoff has been the primary play by play guy for the Sixers for the past 27 years. Um, you know, did play by play for a couple of years, you know, before that. But like you said, since 1994, he's basically the only voice that we heard when it came to the, the Philadelphia 76ers. Like he oh, is no, the guy. And, yeah. oh, oh, and sorry, right? Like, like the the Sixers broadcast team has generally had a lot of continuity. I mean, like mm-hmm. how? I mean, how many color guys have they had in our watching life? Like five, six? I think five or six. So, so it was like Steve Mix, um, Eric Snow, obviously Bob Salmi uh, for a minute, um, Malik Ala, Ala and Malik. Probably missing one, one or two guys. Um, I don't think but, yeah. you know, like no. I think like because before, like before Zumov, it was Neil Funk and Hubie Brown, uh, Ed Pinkney. That was the other guy. Oh Ed yeah, so that was the six. Yeah, those are the six. So yeah, so in twenty-seven years, you've had one play-by-play guy and six color guys. Again, it's pretty. Again, like that doesn't really happen. Uh, yeah. Play-by-play guys and color guys usually kind of you know switch out quite a bit. But Mark Zumov, like you said, like a pros pro, just absolutely great. The perfect, just the perfect guy when it comes to. Being a play-by-play guy, again, like he gave you energy, but again, he wasn't over the top. He wasn't crazy, like super crazy with it. Like the energy came, you know, in the right moments. And like like you said, like I will always associate Mark Zumoff with Allen Iverson because, again, he was the voice during that era. And, you know, when you get, you know, when you're good enough to get shouted out by a Hall of Famer in your Hall of Fame acceptance speech, then again, that says 
enough everything that needs to be said about your talent. So again, kudos to Mark Zumoff. I have no idea where they're going to go with this next. Like, do um, you go internal or or no local? I mean, uh, I assume. Well, I don't know because that's the thing. It's like, I mean, like. I, ideally, you'd, I guess you'd like to get a high profile guy. I, I, I mean, people want to say, you know, Tom McInnes, who does the radio, you know, radio stuff. Maybe he kind of moves over to to the TV stuff. I mean, and I'm sure he could do it. I don't know if he wants to do it, but I mean, he, you know, he, he could do it. Um, either you do that, or I guess you try to get a, as high a profile guy as you possibly can. Again, I don't know how much that gig pays, so I'm not sure if you can get like a, a Gus Johnson or somebody like that. But again, if you can't, you know, convince uh, Tom McInnes to do it, maybe you go that route. Um, I don't know if you go with an unknown guy because I think that's it's, the, the shoes are just too big to fill. Yeah, no, no. And, and one, like, the margin for error is going to be very small. Like, I I, I mean, like, it's going to, like, unfortunately, it's going to be, I, I think this person is going to get not a lot of leeway in, no. like, I don't know, like, not a learning curve one bit. And mm. it's unfortunate, but that's the truth of it. And, yeah. I mean, do you bring back Allah? And that's the thing. It's like, I assume you bring back Allah, but again, like, Allah and this new person have to figure out how to work together and, you know, Maybe that's you know difficult, but again, Allah's a pro. Like I'm sure Allah, Allah's worked with a ton of different play-by-play guys, so I think that's fine. But yeah, it's going to have the the chemistry on Sixers broadcast is going to be different than anything we've seen literally since in the past thirty years. Um, it's going to be weird. It's going to be really weird watching a game without Mark Zumoff. Like I don't, like I don't understand. Like, like I don't know if people like really understand how how crazy it's going to feel. You know, come October. You know when somebody else is calling the games because again, like once you get used to Mark Zumoff, just like when Meryl Reese with the Eagles, like once you get used to a voice, I mean that's the voice you associated with the team. So it's gonna be really, really weird this fall. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean it's gonna be unfortunate when um some uh the next person doesn't have to uh, uh broadcast Miss Ben Simmons um free throw. <laughs> yeah, so so we uh so we lost Mark Zumoff this offseason to retirement. We also lost a uh, Scott O'Neill to probably a force force out. Um, Scott O'Neill, the Sixer CEO, is stepping away after eight years. Um, again, I, I I joined in on the on the Twitter dunking on Scott O'Neill. Like again, I wasn't really that upset with Scott O'Neill. However, Scott O'Neill was the one who had the conversation with Josh Harris, which led to the bringing in of one uh, Brian uh, Jerry, well Brian Colangelo. Uh, so I guess, do you have any thoughts about Scott O'Neill's um a br- a brief? I don't say brief, like quick departure from the Sixers. The problem with Philly is we know too many of these like these upper management people, which we shouldn't know. I yeah. mean, like we shouldn't care about Scott. Like, just right. like, I, I mean, unless you're a buffoon and he's been that at times, but really we shouldn't know this guy. We shouldn't know. Like, I don't know, like the Chris Hex of the world, but right. these guys are, 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 are very visible. And I mean, but that's the downside with visibility. If you want to be out there, like, cause I, I mean, if Scott O'Neill was just like a behind the scenes guy, no one would know who the hell he was. Right. But I mean, with the good of being public is the bad of being public. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get dragged for bad decisions. And I, I mean, I think this should be a cautionary tale is whoever gets that job next, just fall back. Yeah. Like just, just, fans, yeah. fans don't need to know who you are. You have frankly middle, like not that much impact on the, on the actual basketball product. Right. So yeah. So just chick, sit back, chill again. Again, we shouldn't know your name. Just like we shouldn't have known Adam uh, Adam Aaron's name. No. And all those guys. Yeah. No, we shouldn't have we known know these owners. Like like we should know Josh Harris. Yeah. And maybe it. Dave and Dave Blitzer to a point. But right. other than that, we and shouldn't Rubin. know Michael Rubin. That's yeah. It. We shouldn't know the VP of marketing. We shouldn't know the VP of like I don't I don't even know what that Schaller dude is. But like he's out there. Yeah. But like I, I mean, but it's just a warning guys that if you want to be out there retweeting Sixers Twitter and be there with the good times 
if the times are bad, you better have some thick skin. That's all I got to say. 100%. So, again, so that's a word of advice to the next CEO of the Sixers. Again, you know, best wishes to Scott uh, Scott O'Neill. Best wishes, of course, to Mark Zumoff, a fellow best Tumble Best wishes to the well. Sixers. The Sixers are, are, are living it right now. Like, I, I mean, but this is – but, I, I, I mean – this is starts. This is the start of. I mean, we say this every damn year. This is the most important offseason in like thirty-five years. It really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. No, this is it. But we gotta get out of here. We'll talk more about yeah. that offseason next week. But yeah, it's a very important offseason, and we will get into it more next week and in the coming weeks here. One hundred six point five FM WPPM LP Philadelphia. Until then, we are out of here. Mr. Domingo, take us out, please. Have a great weekend, everyone. See you guys. Head to Red Robin for Bacon Bash for bacon on burgers, bacon on all the things like the savory sweet bacon jam and burger, bacon jam seriously, bacon jam and wings with bacon crumbles, wings too, is this right? And the caramel and cookie crumb shake with candied bacon, bacon on a shake, what? Okay, I think we're done. If you need me, I'll be at Red Robin. Um, you forgot to say for a limited time. Red Robin. Yum. As Red Robin's voiceover artist, I'm here to explain Bottomless. How do I get across free refills on fries and drinks? Well, here goes. Bottomless at Red Robin means free unlimited refills on the fries and sides that come with every burger or entree. That means free refills on steak fries, sweet potato fries, Yukon kettle chips, garlic fries, broccoli, side salad, soft drinks, iced teas, freckled lemonades, and even root beer floats. Offer doesn't expire until your appetite does. Whew, nailed it. Red Robin. Yum.